From pitch side to print to the press box above Providence Park. It's Jamie Goldberg from the Oregonian and Richard Farley from the Portland Timbers and Thorns. This is Soccer Made in Portland. On the scene, all the time. Welcome everyone to Soccer Made in Portland. I'm Jamie Goldberg and I'm sitting next to Richard Farley. Uh, we're out at the Timbers training facility today recording out here for the first time. How first feel? time. Yeah. New, new spot, new setup. It's a little weird. <laughs> it's a little different. I got to admit, I'm not used to this yet. Uh, I don't know how much the mics are picking up all of the music, and <laughs> the weights being lifted in the adjacent room, but if the mics are picking it up, just something we got to get used to because when we have guests, yeah. we're going to be doing it out here very often. Yeah. So, yeah, we're really excited today. Um, we're bringing on our, our first Timbers player, at least with uh, me and Richard recording. Foster Langsdorf will be on the podcast in a little bit. But what? Foster Langsdorf? There... The Foster Langsdorf? Yeah. The academy product who went to Stanford and came back a <laughs> national champion? Foster Langsdorf? That's the one. <laughs> wow. I'm excited now. I know. So so everyone has to keep listening until we get to that point. Or, I mean, they could also just, you know, skip ahead, but... Yes. <laughs> it's going to be one minute from now. Yeah. Well, probably not quite that. Um, we do have to get through some of the review of everything going on in the Timbers world uh, in the last week and preview the U.S. Open Cup game. So let's do that first uh, and then we'll we'll drop in the foster our interview with foster sounds um, good so the timbers uh played san jose in the u.s open cup uh they won two to nothing i thought it was a pretty decisive win uh i, I feel like i turned to whoever was sitting next to me in the third or fourth minute and said I, i'm pretty sure the timbers are going to win this one <laughs> um, i really was all on the money on predicting this i i did call a timbers to uh san jose zero uh, results. Congratulations. So that, that's exactly correct. You had um, a vision and it came through. I'm so proud of you. I know. You should be. <laughs> uh, I, I did predict a Foster Langsdorf goal. That didn't happen. Uh, you predicted a Timbers win at three to one. Uh, Normally a very good prediction. I got the margin right. got the right. win and the margin. I mean, it's in your shadow this week, but <laughs> I'm going to be in your shadow for most of these shows, so I got to get used to this. <laughs> um, and then Mo Jadama heads in a first half corner kick. We said that would get you a lot of points, but it did not happen. It didn't even come close. No. I don't even think they targeted him on one quarter <laughs> kick. Yeah, so um, I, I guess we, you can hand out the points. Why don't you hand out the points today? Well, you're prediction was spectacular i I have to give you credit you're right on the nose you got the feel of the game really timbers controlled the whole time just like your score hinted at i've got to give you with a slight u.s open cup adjustment 21.61 points you you deserve it okay um for me i'm gonna give myself 6.8 points Uh, i didn't predict the clean sheet i got too many goals for the timbers my side bet was really off but i got the margin right Normally, it would be such a good pick, but you're already showing me up two minutes into the show. <laughs> oh, well. To the game itself, though, what did you think? Yeah, I, I thought it was a, a pretty decisive performance from the Timbers. I, I think it was pretty clear that they were going to win. I, I think it was a bit of an embarrassing performance from San Jose, who was were playing a, a number of MLS uh, regular players. Yeah, was and, it four or five of their regular yeah, starters were in their 11? Um, and I, the Timbers, I, I think, were rotating a bit more, and yet uh, it was pretty clear that they were the better team in the game. Uh, I think there was it was a great opportunity for some of these 
guys at the end of the first team and some T2 players that were called up for the game to really show something. And we've seen how well T2's done this year. So maybe it shouldn't be surprising to see some of these players perform at this level. Uh, but I, I thought that was the most interesting thing that came out of the game. Some of the players, Loria, Zambrano, they came into the lineup and I, I think really showed well um, in this game against some legitimate MLS competition. The two you picked out were the two that I picked out after the game too. Marvin Loria, I think we have been billing him on the show the couple times that we've brought him up as a true wide player. Well, he started underneath the striker in this one, and he showed a lot of skills that I think you might want to see in that role. Maybe the passing vision wasn't quite there. Maybe there weren't a lot of opportunities for him to connect dangerous passes. But he certainly showed an industry and an intelligence in that role that I think recommends him well for first-team time this year even. I thought he was at that level. And then Renzo Zambrano, we saw in the second half his ability to break lines by himself Maybe that is something that wouldn't happen against a higher level of competition, <laughs> but that's exactly what you want a player in that situation to do. We saw the formation in this one was a 4-2-3-1. Mm-hmm. Renzo Zambrano was starting at that level of the two with uh, Diego Chara and really made the most of his opportunities on the ball. I think those two guys were two people that not only made their case to be first 11 players, not first 11, first 18 players at some point this year, but also made the case as to why people should be getting out and paying more attention to T2 this year. The level of player at T2 is just much better than it was last year. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a completely different level at T2. I I think some of the players on the Timbers roster, uh, too, that, uh, you know, don't have to be signed to the first team that that you see in this game kind of had the opportunity. I like Jadama comes into that game and and he's a guy I don't think we've talked about at all. And and suddenly is someone that's looking a bit closer um, to potentially getting more first team minutes than, than I I think we had anticipated. Yeah. Mo Jadama has been playing left center back all year for T2 beside Josh Phillips, both great additions to the team. In uh, Arizona earlier this year, he was playing a lot of time at right back, and we saw him play at right back against San Jose. Versatile guy, a lot of experience at T2, and obviously putting in the work that got him a first 11 call in Open Cup. I think he has been a little bit overlooked. I think mm-hmm. we have been concentrating a lot more on the attacking talents at T2, or maybe some of the newer signings like Darks and Vuelto. We've been wondering how Jeremy Obobasi has been playing back there. But Modujadama, Josh Phillips... Um, just solidifying fi- fixtures in the back line, in addition to Kendall McIntosh, who we did see mm-hmm. on Wednesday, who uh, got his first log slab. Yeah. So good for him. Yeah. Um, and I think you did bring up Abobasi there, too, as well. Obviously, oh, a pretty yeah. beautiful goal from him. And I, I think he continues to make a case uh, now that he's healthy. Um, he's completely capable of making that case to get some minutes with the first team at some point this year. But it is going to remain tough for him with Audi and uh, Armenteros, obviously, at that level, kind of taking up the forward role. And so what I, I am interested, sort of after seeing the performance, um, obviously, Abobasi has been injured, so he hasn't seen as many T2 minutes this year as maybe he will continue to see moving forward. But I am interested what role he's going to play with the first team in the long term this season uh, and into next year, uh, because we saw what he's capable of, what what kind of goal he's capable of scoring and the talent that he has um, was certainly on display in that U.S. Open Cup game. Absolutely. And to Jeremy's credit, he mentioned the competition that's in this team this year that he has to deal with. He mentioned the expectations coming off his rookie season that he also has to deal with, the improvement that he needs to make as a professional. And it was nice after that goal, which was pretty much a self-made goal, Mm -hmm. that he got an opportunity to show that he realizes the challenges that are in front of him. Samuel Armenteros is obviously here. 
uh, Fernando Adi is even having trouble claiming the same amount of t- playing time that he has in the past. And we've even seen Dairon Espria get time at striker late in games. Obobese has a lot of obstacles in front of him. And even at T2, we have found a lot of reason to keep bringing up Augustine Williams in these conversations. So if he puts his mind to it and realize, and gets a grasp of the obstacles that are in front of him, obviously he has the talent to surpass all those obstacles. So one last thing I wanted to touch on with the U.S. Open Cup before we move on to the game against Kansas City is just... Do you think the Timbers should take the Open Cup more seriously now that they've moved on? Uh, particularly that, you know, now in the next round, they're going to be hosting a game. Yeah, I mean, I think we have to qualify more seriously. I think they were taking it seriously mm-hmm. to begin with. But that's just how people talk about these things, right? When you're not starting your best 11, you're not taking it seriously. Well, the Timbers were taking it seriously. They just weren't taking it single-mindedly. And they're still not going to take it single-mindedly, I don't think. But as you just kind of hinted with your question... They've got some more time between games now ahead of this Friday's game against the Galaxy to be able to play more first-team players. And then if they do advance past that, knock on wood, if anybody feels the need to knock on wood for that, any team that advances past that, the games come at one-month intervals at that point. It's at the point where you can plan a little bit more. The stakes are higher. You can afford to make some short-term decisions knowing that you do have some space to make them. So I absolutely do think, particularly getting another home game, too, that the Timbers should be looking at this competition as extremely winnable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and obviously, um, you know, it's, it's a competition that in these early phases you see teams rotate their lineup. You, you see maybe not the best 11 coming out there, but but as you get closer to potentially winning that championship, I, I mean, this it is a tournament that teams semifinals, finals, you see teams putting a lot of effort into. So uh, I, I think the Timbers who have not generally had great draws in this tournament do have an opportunity now with um, a, a pretty good draw in this next game, which we'll get to a little bit uh, to potentially make a run. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see how this goes. And there's absolutely no chance now that they will get drawn to a match at Starfire this year. Yes. Yes. So. <laughs> I think I tweeted that out immediately with like four <laughs> exclamation points. Yeah. Uh, not going to Starfire. We're going to talk more Open Cup because we mm-hmm. have to preview the coming Galaxy game. We have another Timbers game to talk about. League play. A 0-0 draw at home on Saturday. Jamie, you and I had many more goals scored <laughs> yes. in this one, which just shows we really didn't look at the history of this game very closely. In MLS play, beyond the playoffs, the history of this game is always one or two goals. There's only been one time in the last nine games between these two teams that either team has scored more than one goal in a game. And the trend just continued, even though the Timbers have a new coach for this one. I predicted it would be a two-to-one win for the Timbers. You predicted it would be a two-to-one win for Sporting. Neither of us came close at all. Uh, On our side bets, I predicted a naughty goal. You predicted a Flores scores his first Timbers goal. I think zero points all around. I yeah. don't think we uh, really got this game right at all. Zero points. And just like we committed some kind of violation yeah. in, in the NCAA level, this will be stricken from the record book <laughs> forever. But yes. uh, review of the game, thoughts from the game. I thought it was an intriguing game beyond the lack of goals. I thought each team had opportunities. I thought each half was kind of went the same way where the Timbers came out and had a very strong 10 or 15 minutes. You were convinced that they were going, they had something going. Game leveled off. By the end of each half, Sporting looked like they were more likely to get the goal. And overall, I thought they were two very evenly matched teams on Saturday. 
Yeah, I, I think that's a good way to put it. It was a very evenly matched game. Obviously, the Timbers got a little help from the crossbar, but overall, um, it, it was a pretty evenly matched. I forgot about that. Shaloy yeah. nailed the crossbar. <laughs> yep. So, I, I mean, Kansas City gets the better chance of the night, but I, the Timbers certainly had some good chances to score as well. And like you said, there, there were stretches of the game where I, I think you could say either Kansas City was better or the Timbers were better. I, I think that maybe it is a small concern at this point. Kansas City is obviously a very good defensive team, and this is how games have played out for the Timbers versus Kansas City in the past. So it's not surprising to see a, a scoreless draw, but maybe it's a little bit of a concern for me now that we've seen two games in a row where I think the Timbers have struggled to score despite uh, creating opportunities. Uh, against LA, they get the goal, but it's on the penalty kick. They're not able to capitalize on their chances. And so I, I think I leave this game feeling like I wanted to see more from the Timbers attack and now going on the road, uh, they'll have the U.S. Open Cup game, but then going on the road to Atlanta, um, that's going to be a tough place to play. You don't want this to turn into a streak or a trend of too many games where the Timbers are creating chances but not finding ways to capitalize on opportunities that they, they need to be able to put away. Um, so I, I think that that, while it was evenly matched, well, overall I think it was a fine result for the Timbers at home. They, you know, continue the unbeaten streak. They reach that to eight games. It, it is something where I want to see a little bit more from the attack. So it's a nine-game unbeaten streak. I am going to count the Open Cup game. Okay. So that's that's Jamie's not wrong. She's just <laughs> looking at it through the MLS lens. So the reason I want to say that is if they don't lose on Friday against LA, it's going to all of a sudden be a ten-game mark and going into double digits and starts to feel like it's something serious at that point. But overall, I 100% agree with you. Thinking back on Saturday, thinking of the chances the team has, the one by Finito Adi that Tim Melia saved in the second half. I think that was their best chance of the night. The other good chances to me came off of dead balls. Right around the arc, I think there were three fouls on Diego Valeri, that where Diego Valeri had chances. You just got the feeling that one of those was going to go in. By the time the fourth foul came around, he didn't even elect to take it. And Sebastian Blanco put it into the north end. I don't know what the success rate for those chances are, but we have certainly seen Timbers players convert those before. I certainly thought Diego Valeri was going to get one of those. But I think if you're looking back at the game, and those are your second best chances of the game, you're not doing more from open play, I think it's a bit of a problem. Mm-hmm. I think on the other side, obviously, though, the defense keeps the clean sheet. I, I think it's their fourth of the year. And, and I, I was impressed with, I, I mean, Kansas City came into the game, I think they had scored 28 goals. Um, you had talked last week about how you felt those that came in bunches and, and maybe they weren't as good as uh, they looked on paper. But the defense without Liam Ridgewell, despite having to make yet making at least yet another change in the back line, bringing Marco Farfan in, um, there's been no consistency in the back four. I, I think puts in a pretty solid performance to overall limit Kansas City's opportunities, um, you know, save maybe that crossbar chance. Yeah, I thought that Julio Cascante was really good in this one. I think given the fact that he didn't play 90 minutes against LAFC, he came on in the sixth minute of that one. This was probably the best full 90 minutes I think we've seen from him so far. There were a couple of times where Jelson Fernandez got in crosses on Zarek Valentin where Julio Cascante tracked his man really well that was coming from the far side to the near post. So I really liked that. And aside from one mistake in the sixth minute that put uh, Jelson Fernandez in on goal, I thought Laris Mabiala had a really good night too. So I thought the de- defense played really well, but not to just not to keep harping on it. With the attack, one when the defense plays like that, you want to get three yeah. points. And I worry that if Blanco and the nights that Blanco and Valeri aren't 
really at their best, what do the Timbers have? And I think that's a question that's going to have to be solved over the course of the season. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Audi still comes back in the lineup. He still only has two goals this season, though. Armenteros has had a pretty good run of form, but we haven't yet seen if he's going to be a consistent goal scorer for this team. Um, and so it is a question. I think that will need to be answered whether this team can find enough attacking power when Valeri and Blanco aren't the ones providing that. Um, I, I, the other thing, talking point that I want to touch on from this game is just that, I, again, they aren't able to get a win uh, without Chara. I, I think um, that takes them to 18 games dating back to July 2015. What is it, 0-11-7? Um, yeah, 0-11-7 and 7, okay. uh, without Chara during the time. It's a negative 21 goal differential. Yes. Um, so this that game doesn't necessarily fit into that storyline. Um, but Mike asks, what do you suppose it will take for the Timbers to win a game when, when Chara's not on the field? They could have won the game on Saturday. I mean, if that Adi header goes in, then they win the game. If Diego Valeri converts one of those dead balls, they win the game. I'm Obviously, that didn't happen. But Diego Chirara's defensive contribution wasn't going to lead to negative one goals allowed. So what will it take? It'll take a game like Saturday's and just the Timbers converting their chances. I mean, how do you see it? I mean, I, I, think I see it in a similar way. I think the formation, and we talked about this a little bit going into the game, the formation with sort of playing more of a three defensive midfielders, um, sort of a version of that formation, I, I think does put the Timbers in a position where they're better suited to deal with the absence of Chara. And I, I think in this game, it, they did have the opportunity to win. And I, I think they put themselves in a much better position than you've seen in a lot of these games where Chara's not there, where they're conceding four goals and losing four to one or something like that. That's why the goal differential um, is such a glaring stat in those losses that they've had when Chara's not there. Um, so I think this, in a way, even though they didn't get the win, it was an example of how they could potentially win without Chara, even though they are obviously a better team. And, and even in the attack and transition and um, counterattacks, they're going to be better when Chara's on the field. Absolutely. Fernando Adi back in the starting 11, Marco Farfan back in the starting 11. What did you think about those moves? Yeah, I, I think it made sense. It makes sense to continue giving Adi chances. Uh, but um, I, I'm still concerned that he's not finding goals um and maybe it's the lack of consistency in the lineup maybe it's um having a little bit more competition there or for whatever reason but you want to see i think um more production from him and he he does get a good chance but and he there's other things he contributes but i, I still want to see the goals from him and i think he's still leaving it open for maybe armenteros coming back in so uh i think that's going to continue to be a competition until one of those players proves that they can consistently find goals and that the attack isn't going to have to depend completely on Valeri and Blanco. I thought Farfan was interesting coming in. I, I mean, it's interesting to see that Vitas is not the one coming in there. Um, not, yeah, he's in the 18. But... He was in the 18, but Farfan is still above him, um, mm -hmm. which is an interesting move. I, the fact that they didn't want to put Bill Tuiloma back on, um, I, I mean, he, you, those players both, you know, played in the U.S. Open Cup midweek, but Savaresi was obviously thinking of this game with, with some of those decisions. So um, it, it's nice to see Marco er earning chances, but I, I'm still not sure that, you know, it certainly wasn't the Timbers' best back four. Um, Absolutely. But even though they did, as, as I said, you know, put in the performance they needed to get the job done. Yep, and you hate to say this two MLS games in a row, but sometimes games just turn out like this no matter what your performance is. The last time we said that was against the Galaxy. The Galaxy going to be back in town on Friday. U.S. Open Cup play. Uh, th win this game. You get to the quarterfinals. 
Timbers lucky enough to have two straight home games, two straight very winnable games. They didn't win the last time they faced the Galaxy. As with any U.S. Open Cup game, Jamie, I think we need to start with who should actually play on Friday. Yeah, I think that this is an opportunity for the Timbers to play close to their best starting 11. And I think maybe we'll see Valeri get rest or, or some of the players that maybe could use a week off, get some rest. But this is a competition that the Timbers, if they want to take seriously, and even if they want to put themselves in a good position, they've been playing well to prepare maybe for Atlanta next week, it's an opportunity to get their best players game minutes um, in a tournament that they could advance in. So I'm not expecting to see the rotated lineup that we saw versus San Jose. I'm expecting to see a close to Timber starting 11 with a few changes based on players that might need the extra rest. I completely agree with you. If you need some rest, you're not going to start. Maybe you don't even make it into the 18. Gives Giovanni Savarese a good opportunity to see the few players that he wants to see with his first team. Mix them in, see how they execute. But this is going to be a full strength game, pretty much. And I expect the Galaxy to approach it the same way for the exact same reasons, uh, which leads to the matchup. Did we learn anything from the Timbers and the Galaxy from the time they played a week and a half ago that we think matters for this coming game in the Open Cup? I mean, I, I think we'll have to see what lineup the, the Galaxy use, uses. Obviously, they are missing players to the World Cup, so they still are going to have absences like they had in, in the last matchup between the two teams, but I, they're not dealing with the short rest. Maybe we see more minutes from Zlatan, um, or maybe Siggy Schmidt doesn't necessarily play his top 11. So we'll have to see what lineup they use. I, I definitely think that the, their defense is vulnerable, and, and the Timbers weren't able to capitalize on those opportunities that they were able to get in that game. But I, I think they show that this is a team that they are capable of getting a win over, and they just need to do better, especially on that attacking side. I agree with you again, so I think it's time to go to a couple of listener questions before we segue into our special guest. I think one that jumps out from our list here that I think is particularly pressing is from Chris. With his increasingly impressive performances for both T2 and now the Timbers in the Open Cup, is there a chance Marvin Loria gets promoted to the first team for the second half of the season? I don't know. Um, I think it's probably more likely that you're looking at a player uh, going into next year um, and having him have a full season with T2. The Timbers are going to be active, they've said, in, in the summer transfer window. They're going to want to make changes. Whether that changes means trying to sign a player from T2 versus going out and getting other players, we'll see. But I think they're more likely to give a player a, a full year to develop with T2 and then bring them into the first team. But I mean, what do you think? I think it'll come down to the business that the team can do in the transfer window. And if they reach the end of the transfer window and they have an open spot, I think uh, Loria, partially because, as you've reported, it looks like um, Victor Arbaleda is going to be in Colombia for the rest of the year. There is a need to have somebody who can play wide in the, in the squad. So obviously it'll depend on, you know, can they get somebody better than Loria to come in and contribute this year? But I think he certainly put himself in the conversation, which is a testament enough to him. Um, and speaking of conversations to get playing time, uh, the Yanks in Portland asks, should Abobasi get a shot with the first team? And I think that's an interesting question, you know, given his U S open cup performance and, and given that, Maybe we're not seeing the consistency from from Audi in terms of scoring goals. Um, is this an opportunity for Bobasi maybe to get some minutes off the bench and see if he can contribute at the first team level? I don't think Jeremy has shown he's better than Fernando Audi. Mm -hmm. um, 
I think we all want Jeremy to succeed. We all recognize his talent. We always want the young players or players that we traded up in the draft to get to be as good as they can possibly be. But I think we also need to recognize that Samuel Armenteros and Fernando Adi are at a certain level. And while Jeremy certainly has the skill level to be there, if you look at the body of his USL performances this year, they've been good. Have they been enough to force Giovanni Savarese's hand to get him into an 18? No. I agree. I mean, I certainly don't think he's at the level that Audi or Armenteros is at this point. But I do think at some point this season, Savarese needs to find a way to get him some minutes off the bench and Absolutely. continue pushing his development and see if he can contribute at, at this level. And we saw last year in his limited opportunities, he, he showed pretty well. And I think it would be a mistake to kind of allow him to get lost behind Armenteros and Audi. And at a point when maybe Audi's not in the best form, it, it wouldn't be a terrible idea to maybe give uh, Bobasi a, a spot chance in the 18. Does he get a chance before Foster Langsdorf? I mean, that's a big question. Well, I mean, I think that's the question we have to answer before we even decide whether Foster or Jeremy is the person to challenge Fernando Adi. And I don't even think it's about challenging Fernando Adi either. Um, you know, there's certainly a lot of configurations where you can have all three of these yes. players, Adi, Armenteros, and one of the two in a game day 18. But I also, and I know um, Yanks in Portland just phrased this question this way because this is how we talk about things, but should a OBC get a shot with the first team? He gets a shot with the first team every single day. If he comes to practice in a whole week and he outplays Fernando Adi, he's going to be in the 18. And it's the same thing with Foster Langsdorf. And as we'll hear in the upcoming interview, Foster himself points out things that he feels like he could be doing better to put himself into that competition. But that competition is real. And just because Jeremy Obobese isn't getting playing time in MLS doesn't mean he's not competing against the MLS options on a day-to-day, practice-to-practice basis. One uh, one last question before we move uh, to our, our guest that I just wanted to throw out there for fun. I, I think this was from last week, but we didn't get a chance to get to it. And, oh, I love this question. Um, it's a fun one. Uh, Adi Wadi wants to know, which Diego gets a statue first? So we've got three. We've got Valeri, Chara, and the dog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would like a statue of Chara with the dog. <laughs> um, I think it's got to be Valeri. Yeah, I, I think it would be great to see a Char statue with his smile. Um, yeah, maybe add in uh, Merritt's dog, Diego, just for mm. fun. Um, but yeah, I, I think Diego Valeri is absolutely going to have a statue. And when they finally get rid of those faces on Providence Park, <laughs> I, I think, and I, I think this has been out there a lot, but I agree with the sentiment that I've seen on Twitter, which is Valeri on one side of the stadium and Christine Sinclair on the other. Yeah, and look, there is something to be said for winning an MVP. Yes. I mean, the guy has a ring. The guy has an MVP. There's literally nothing else that man could do at this point. <laughs> and he's going to be here for, what, four, five, three more years. I don't know. But when he's done in Portland, he's going to walk away between his on-field contributions, his individual awards, his contributions in the community. Literally, there is nothing else that man could have done while he's here. Yeah. Uh, he's going to be a club legend. Um for, for the rest of time. And, and uh, it's hard to make the argument that there's been a better player in, in Timbers history um, at this point, both on the field and off the field when you put it all together. So um, I, I think Chara deserves, I think he gets a decent amount of credit in Portland, but he, he does probably deserve overall more credit than he gets Absolutely. for the performances that he puts in and the professional that he is. Uh, but, but the first statue is definitely going to Valeri. Mm-hmm. Well, it's hard to transition from Diego Valeri to anybody else, but <laughs> Diego Valeri is somebody that our next guest explicitly mentioned 
in the context of, holy cow, I've watched this team all throughout my teenage years. I've trained with them before, and now I get to practice, and he says gets to shake hands with Diego Valeri every day. It is amazing to hear the excitement that Foster Langsdorf still has for this situation, considering this is his life now. Yeah, yeah, it's incredible. It's it's funny, and I, if we want to play into that transition a little bit more foster's first game when he was in the 18 for some reason they didn't have his photo up there so they put a photo of diego valeri <laughs> so we didn't ask him about that unfortunately well, maybe uh, that's foreshadowing well, the future yeah we'll see mm. um so yeah i think now we're gonna bring in uh timbers ford foster langsdorf uh, well foster thanks so much for joining us on the show my pleasure <laughs> glad to be here yeah is this your first podcast since leaving stanford Yes, yes, this is. Yes, this is. I listen to NPR, so I am somewhat versed in those. You do have kind of an NPR voice, like you're going to give, try to convince me to take a tote bag after this. <laughs> or something like that. Maybe I'd convince you to do something else. But yeah. <laughs> cool. So I wanted to start just, I, I wonder what it's been like for you to sort of come back to your home area and be involved uh, with the, be on the Timbers first team now, yeah. make this your first uh, professional team in, in a place that you grew up. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's absolutely wonderful, and it, I actually go to bed every day very excited for practice the next day because I, I obviously I had a delayed start to get here because I needed to finish school, and so I came 10 weeks late. I came in um, somewhat after the beginning of the season, and so then finally when I was done with school and all I had to do was just focus on soccer, it's been absolutely incredible, and plus it's, I've been watching from the sidelines so long, and it's finally fun to be able to play on a nice grass field, for instance, to be able to uh, shake hands and be somewhat at eye level with Diego Valeri and Blanco and guys like that, so yeah. Have you, are you living at home with your parents or have you found your own apartment? So I'm living at home with my mother and, and that's, that's good because she, she's a single mom. So it's like mutually beneficial for me to do things like power wash or help clean the gutters and do the garbages. And then she lets me stay there rent free. I'm glad yeah. to hear that. Cause when I met your mother after the game at Merlo field, where you oh. scored your first <laughs> career goal against Rio Grande Valley, right? I think yeah. you scored against your old uh, Stanford oh. teammate. Yeah, as right. I remember, uh, she was saying that she was, going to give you some time to settle back in, but then you have all this free time after practice that she was going to start to put you to work. Yeah. So I'm glad to see that that's actually happening. But I want to ask you about that, the transition from college life back to this life that's not completely unfamiliar to you, but is it starting to feel normal having college in the past now living this life of a professional athlete? Yes, it is. It is starting to feel normal because in the beginning, I would get done with practice, with stretching, with yoga, with lifting, and be home around by one. So I thought, oh, my goodness, I have 10 more hours left in my day. I should be making the most of it. Because at school, you're so used to this very fast-paced lifestyle. And so I was thinking, should I be training more? Should I be reading all the time? Um, what, what should I be doing with my hands? Uh, what exactly <laughs> <laughs> do I do with so much time? So and I'm still f- trying to figure that out, actually. So I've, I've joined things like uh, Portland Toastmasters, which is a public speaking club at a correctional institution. And oh, so wow. that's been uh, fun. I do that on Tuesdays. And yeah, so I'm like slowly filling in the void a little bit. With you coming through the academy, you're obviously the second um, player to come through the academy yeah. and get signed by the Timbers first team. I, I wonder what that experience was like. We, we, from our perspective, you know, we've seen the academy sort of grow. Um, 
uh, throughout the time that the Timbers have been a, an MLS team. But from your perspective playing in yeah. the academy, how, how important was that for your development? And what, what was that experience like? It's, the, the experience was great because you had the – you had the best coaching staff. You had the you had a great facility and everything. You had a lot of accommodations. Uh, another aspect of that was were the, are the little things being in the academy. So when you're in the academy, your dream and your goal is to make it to the first team. So you walk past the first team's practice field every day, which is grass. You you go into the this you come into this training facility, but you can't use certain um, there are certain spaces that are blocked off because it's only allowed for the first team. And you just think to yourself, I really want to be able to use those spaces someday. That must be so nice to get to use the the grass field that must be so cool to be able to shake of Larry's hand or even watch Audi finish. I can remember even being pulled up for to several first team practices. And even though I didn't play a big part in those practices, it's just so amazing to actually be there. And you come back to practice maybe later that week and all your friends are like, Oh my goodness, how was it? And they just want to know everything about it. It's just, everything is glorified at the first team level. Now that I'm somewhat able to experience it a little bit more. I I um it I don't take it for granted. I guess that's what I'm saying. Every day is or at least I haven't so far. So you asked if it's getting normal earlier. I don't really feel that yet. <laughs> yeah. Sorry uh, if I didn't answer your question either. Oh, that's okay. No, I think you did. Yeah. Um, okay. well one thing I wanted to talk to you about was the change in coaches. You at Stanford had a coach that's becoming a very prominent coach on the national yeah. landscape and Jeremy Gunn, yeah. obviously collecting a lot of trophies and titles down there. Yeah. And now you're coming into a situation with somebody who was a very prominent MLS player, but somebody who was establishing himself as a coach on mm-hmm. this level. Can you compare and attra- contrast the two styles, yes. the two personalities? Yeah. So I would to compare them, they both love long training sessions and they love to <laughs> they love to get the most out of practice and they're very detail oriented. I noticed that with Gunn, he he controls everything and there's little nuances from who you're rooming with all the way up and to what he's saying in the pregame talk. And although I haven't been involved very much in the game days with the Timbers, that's something I noticed is that Gio is also um, very nuanced in his own ways. And he's a great, they're both great motivators, so they can raise everybody's intrinsic motivation levels. And that would, that's how I would, that's the comparison I would make to them. And I'd say that's how they're similar. Now, how they're different though is <laughs> I would say Gio is a little nicer <laughs> and a little bit more patient a little, uh, little less old school it seems yeah. like <laughs> yes gun was uh very hard on you and he and and here i think maybe it's there's just a difference when you play college all the powers with the coach and then here i've noticed that it is somewhat more of a level playing field not with me but um with with other players yeah sure noticed. so i mean which makes sense too because all the players in college have so much more to develop and grow. And then the players here are a little bit more um, sophisticated and polished. And you also are working with another first year coach, Cameron Knowles. Yeah. Uh, tell me what it's like uh, working with him. Oh, I, I really like Cam. Uh, I think he, he, he does a great job again at motivating everybody to want to do their best. And uh, another thing I like about him is that he holds a personal relationship with you. I've had some coaches in the past that as soon as you're off the field, they don't really care or perhaps they're socially awkward or they just don't know how to um, 
you know, as if you're a coach, you have a relationship with the player and it's like, do you want that to constantly be player coach or do you want to be friends or how, how does this relationship change? Um, Cameron does a good job of getting the most out of you on the field and then also making you feel as if you're somewhat important off of it by talking to you and um, actually having a genuine interest in how you are. So, yeah. You've had, and you've obviously had some success already with the, at the T2 level. Mm. How has that um, transition been for you, you know, coming here, being on the first team, getting alone down to T2 and finding ways to contribute so quickly? How has that come for you? Oh, um, you mean... How have I done it or how have I? Yeah. How has it felt for you, the transition? And why do you think you've been able to have so much success this year? Oh, well, it wasn't so great in the beginning. My first (laughs) game, we played the Monarchs and I came from a different system, for instance, of playing soccer. So I came from, for instance, on set pieces on a corner kick, I would, I would, I would man mark and then. Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't really man mark. I'd kind of just be zonally, and <laughs> and on that first corner kick, uh, Nick Besler off off uh, Monarchs just rises and knocks in this goal. And I think, holy crap! I'm in a holy. I'm in a totally new system. I wasn't paying enough attention to um, what my role actually was during these set plays. So I think you're I, just saying you're a crap man marker. <laughs> hey, I, you can't. You, I'm never. You never. You aren't something. You just make those decisions, and so <laughs> at that it's one like, point in time, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm getting better. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm getting better at man marking. That's what I would say. It's actually say. important at this level. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, I mean, that's something I learned very fast, and that was trial by fire. Is that you can't give people. You can't. For instance, in college, I noticed I could. I could not mark somebody on a corner and they probably wouldn't get it on target if it did get to them, as long as I maybe just gave them a little nudge or something. And that's what I thought I had to do. And in that real um, Salt Lake game, I did that, and he knocks it into the corner. And that was my first play as a professional <laughs> player. And I just thought, it must be downhill from here. <laughs> I couldn't think of a worse way to start. But anyways, and, and then in, um, in practice here, like I, you know, I'm used to letting giving people space because – they're not as dangerous or they can't, I know they're not going to convert on everything. For instance, if I'm defending you and there's a goal here, I can give you some space and let you shoot it. Cause it, it's, it's not a high probability it'll go in. Well, I, I see out here, you can't do that. These guys are automatic. <laughs> so that's been somewhat of a transition, but uh, in terms of how I've done it, I've, I've had to learn to, I would say I'd, I have to be patient with myself and I have to also enjoy this moment as much as I want it to go well because sometimes I forget to enjoy it and then I, my head's down and my confidence is low. I think one thing that's changed about me and in my transition that has helped me um, contribute to the second team is is being more patient with myself and really learning from guys like Audi about um, little nuances in the game such as delaying my run or... Um, just taking a breath before I start a drill and being more calm on the ball. And I've had a lot of help with that. It hasn't necessarily been me. It's been guy. It's been from, I room with Vitas on that um, real um, Monarch strip. And, and because he came in Oklahoma city and he was kind of just talking to me about the game and Vitas is very smart. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've had him on here before. And so he's been somewhat of a mentor for me. 
Yeah, it's a good mentor to have. Yeah, 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 I know. He's not going to trick you. (laughs) You know, I was having this conversation with somebody, I think it was a couple weeks ago, and there's the natural, I think a little bit ignorant temptation to compare you to Jordan Morris just because of the Northwest and the Stanford connections. And I was telling him, you know, the way that he plays reminds me a little bit more of Wayne Rooney. Who would you compare your style of play to? Because I'm trying to think of somebody who isn't an out-and-out target forward, uh-huh. can play along the line, but is also going to create a lot yeah. of danger dropping back in the space in front uh-huh. of the fence. I would – I find it hard to compare. I, I'm definitely not a Jordan Morris. Yeah. Uh, Jordan is a lot of power and He's speed. a physical freak. Yeah, and he's very fast feet. <laughs> I mean, not – I mean, like, he's very good at that, but he's also very skillful. I'm just, like – I would I would say – I, I watch a lot of um, I, I'd say I'm extremely hardworking and I'm, I'm a team player and obviously I like to try and score so I'd compare myself to the likes of I'm still figuring that out yeah <laughs> I'm still figuring that out because I never just want to be one person I want to be I want to be Chris Wanolowski's finishing I want to be this person's dribbling it's like I want to try and be take away different aspects from certain players Wando's a good but, comparison too because. You know, your activity rate, your desire to seek out space where people aren't and then make the most of that space, it's really noticeable if you see the T2 games live. You're you're in constant motion. And that was my follow-up question. How much of that constant motion do you see as a defining trait of who you want to be as a player? I need – yeah, I've heard that. Of the, of the constant motion. I just need the I'm, – I'm getting a little bit of critique on that at the moment. So okay. I'm trying not to glorify it. That's <laughs> the first thing I'm going to say. I So I'm constantly moving, yes, but I need to be smarter in my mo- movements oh. because, yes, it does look like I'm moving a lot sometimes. But if you were to be inside my head during those moments, it might just be like I'm just fixated on the ball rather than – and, and going to it, you know, like if you right. watch little kids play soccer, they just all run towards the ball. Well, maybe I need to like be a little bit more specific in my running. I need to peel off a man rather and like get off his shoulder and um, create space for other players rather than running towards it. So I'm trying to think about that a little bit more. But I would say that is a defining characteristic for me. I, I think my confidence comes from my hard work. Mm-hmm. So with uh, for you we let you go. I, I'm interested sort of how, when you're coming into a team, you know, with Fernando Adi, Samuel Armenteros, Jeremy yeah. Abobasi, um, all, all of these forwards that, that have been here. Um, what, how do you kind of set the goals for yourself for this year and, um, you know, be realistic, but, but also push yourself yeah. um, in your first year at the pro level? My, so I like to take things step by step, a stepping stone for me so far here was being on the bench against the LA Galaxy a couple weeks ago or a week ago I'm not sure <laughs> and 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 so that's that's what I'm doing I don't set these big goals like I want to be um the first Timbers homegrown player to do that I just think I I want to just like it's like eating an elephant you just like start with its ear and then like bite 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 and so I was thinking like I I mean of course my goal is to eventually be playing for the first team regularly and that's my that's the end goal but the process goal is I want to make sure I'm doing well and and practice I want to make sure I'm working the hardest with because that's something that you can measure um, with our VX tracking system I want to make sure that I'm I'm getting my thousand touches during the day I want to make sure that I'm constantly sharp and I'm I'm scoring in the T2 game to then get that opportunity to maybe be on the bench and 
and per, perhaps get minutes with the first team, whether it's like in stoppage time. But yeah, I'm just taking it step by step. Um, well, thank you so much for coming no, on. We yeah, this was fun. So thank you for really appreciate me. it. Yeah. Well, that was a that was a great interview. I, I haven't awesome had interview. a chance to talk to Foster that much, and uh, he's clearly a very art- articulate guy that's thought a lot about you know um, sort of his mentality going into this year and, yeah. and his approach to the game. Um, I think it was really great to hear from him. Yeah, we were talking about it with one of the other Timbers employees after we were done with Foster about how he has been like that since the moment he came back to Portland from Palo Alto. And at some point, you know, he's going to be a little less wide-eyed, <laughs> but I don't think he's going to be any less thoughtful yeah. or lack any perspective about where he's come and where he is at. So it'll be a very, very interesting arc to follow over these next few years. Yeah, uh, especially how far he's going to go. I mean, he certainly has the right mentality and the, you know, work ethic. Um, yeah. And so it'll be interesting to see how the, you know, the Timber's second homegrown signing uh, where he ends up with this club. And I'm just glad I got to mention his mother because it was <laughs> such a pleasure to meet him, meet her up at Merlot Field after she, he scored his uh, first USL goal. Just You can sense the excitement of a family that has been Timbers fans, and it's great to have that in the organization. Great. Uh, so sort of a random transition, but I think from now, uh, now we're going to move into the Chris Reifer Memorial Hot Take Interlude. Interlude is my contribution. Keep it in there. And this week we are doing exclusively Foster Langsdorf Hot Takes. (laughs) Okay, I just that's I I just got vetoed on that. (laughs) So do you want to go first? Sure. It's has nothing to do actually with the Timbers Foster Langsdorf T two. So I'm going as far away from Foster. You're really off theme right now. But go ahead. It's your show. Um. I think we've talked about this a little bit, so there might actually be some disagreement here. But uh, last week, the national, uh, the NWSL announced that they were changing some of their game of the week on Lifetime uh, to ESPN News and moving those games to evening kickoff times. Um, they said they were doing this both to, you know, get the games in the evenings because they felt it would uh, raise attendances in stadium. And also, you know, make sure the players were playing at times that were safer and better for their health. Uh, Because obviously we had last year an incident uh, where a midday game in Houston led to Rachel Daly going to the hospital. Um, That argument is was more persuasive for me. I'm not sure if this is going to really lead to better attendances. And where I'm really not happy about this change is I, I, I think it's going to have a negative impact. And we'll see starting this weekend with the Thorns versus Chicago game. I think it's going to have a negative impact on viewership because ESPN News is not a TV channel uh, that's in sort of the same package as Lifetime. I think most people that subscribe to sports channels, um, and the basic ESPNs, Fox Sports, uh, will have Lifetime also in that cable package. It's sort of the same tier. Uh, but ESPN News is a higher tier, a more expensive tier. And I think fans that have been watching these games are, are going to lose access. And I'm not sure that they're going to want to pay the money to get ESPN News just to watch these games. And, and so midseason, making this change after fans have become accustomed to a certain time of day and sort of expectation for these games of the week. Uh, I think if this was going to happen, it, it shouldn't have happened midseason. It should have been thought out a bit more. And, and I think it's going to ultimately lead to the NWSL losing some to fans on television. Why do you think it wasn't thought out? 
I think that it wasn't thought out to come mid-season like this. I think I, I get that they might be, you know, trying to build a relationship with ESPN um, and, and clearly want the evening games. But if this was something that they felt they needed to do, I, I think it should have been happened before the season. And this should have been a major discussion and something they found a way to get done starting into last year um, through the offseason to figure it out. Why do you think this wasn't a major discussion? I, I mean, of course, it was a major discussion. I'm saying that if the timeline for it to happen wasn't done, in my opinion, how they should be running it. I think that it should have happened in the offseason and it should have whatever it took to try to deal with these things, not midseason uh, was was how a league should approach this. I, I think when you're changing something up like this in midway through the year for fans that have, are accustomed to watching the following these teams in, in a certain way. I just don't think that's the right move. And, and if you're going to make a decision as big as this, you should be making it leading into the season. They would be no less accustomed to this routine in November than they are right now. Yeah, but it could build up some time and they wouldn't have been... Ha- They're making a change a week before a game. I, I mean, fans potentially were already ready you know, to watch the Thorns game in an afternoon on Lifetime. I might now have to backtrack and start thinking with one week in advance, oh, wait, how do I get access to this game that I was planning on to watch? And, and I maybe... We'll see if I'm wrong, and that argument only fits into a small amount of fans. But I, that was definitely something I saw immediately on Twitter. Fans saying, oh, great, I can't watch the Storms game I was preparing to watch in one week. Well, I do agree that Twitter is a great way to assess the the general consensus among a broad group of people. It always <laughs> works really well that way. Uh, we definitely don't get any disproportionate opinions on there. <laughs> Sarcasm aside, I agree with almost everything you uh, said. The things that you didn't say are the things that I would offer to the conversation. They're obviously... A lot of positives to this. You did mention some of them. I think it's, of course, with everything, it's a matter of whether the positives outweigh the negatives. And if they do, then I definitely can see a no time like the present to start bringing those positives into view. So if they feel like a relationship with ESPN News is going to be beneficial, why should they wait, you know, eight months to start that relationship when they can start it now? Bottom line is there are going to be people inconvenienced by that, though. So I think it's good that not only you, but those people on Twitter that I just, you know, derisively dismissed. <laughs> I think it's good that they brought it up. But I think it's pretty obvious that there are some positives that the league values over this. So I think your take is a pretty hot take. I think it's a take you wouldn't be making if you had ESPN News. <laughs> and I think that it's honestly one of the... I'm proud of you because in the three episodes you and I have done <laughs> together, you have not had a hot take yet. This is this is a pretty hot take when you realize that you could just go get ESPN News or you could go to a bar to watch a game or you can watch through the other means that people watch these things. And ultimately, for most teams, they're not on ESPN News that much. These these are only the games that we're going to be on Lifetime and not even all of those games. I will say I'm not just approaching this from a perspective of someone who now has to figure out how to get ESPN News. You don't. You you can just go to a bar and watch it. But I also approaching this from someone who works in the journalism industry and has seen what happens when you go behind a paywall and how, yes, a reader could pay maybe a few dollars to continue subscribing to what they already had been subscribing to, or they could just not. And so I wouldn't be surprised to see a drop-off here. Oh, there would definitely be some kind of drop-off. And we'll see what it is, but but I'm concerned about what that drop-off is going to be. It's just a matter of whether the size of the drop-off matches the size of your concern. And that's why I think it's a pretty hot take. Um, my hot take is that predicting games is overrated. 
don't really like doing it. I'm obviously not too good at doing it. I think over the next 20 minutes, we should come up with some kind of solution where I don't have to predict games because every week I roll up to the show and I see that you have a lot of fun predicting games and Chris had a lot of fun predicting games. And I think there's something wrong with myself when I don't take as much joy in predicting games. I was it a couple weeks ago, I made a prediction that the Timbers what with oh no it was this game two to one i said to sam ah, I'm, I'm just predicting it this way because it'd be cool if they won without chara i put like zero thought into that as reflected by the fact that once i did sit down and put some thought into it oh wait these teams never score against each other why did i just predict a three goal game so maybe telepathically you and i could connect over the next 20 minutes and come up with some kind of solution <laughs> and come up with this but i think predicting games is way overrated i also predict you think that's a pretty hot take Yes, I, I enjoy predicting games. I like the listeners to kind of hear what, what I'm thinking and whether I'm wrong, um, but to hear sort of from the perspective of someone out there every day why I, I'm making a prediction and what I think is going to happen. I, I think it's a fun thing to do. I disagree with you, um, but I think you have probably foreshadowed uh, us towards the end of the podcast, maybe moving in a new direction with our predictions. Ooh, Okay, uh, let's talk about the Thorns for a little bit because there isn't a lot of Thorns to talk about because they've been on international break. That international break entailed Lindsey Horan, Tobin Heath, Midge Purse being called into the U.S. Women's National Team. Midge Purse quickly returned with an ankle injury that Jamie B. Goldberg from the Oregonian reports will sideline her for three weeks. Tobin Heath did not play in Thursday's game against China. Fitness issue was cited there too. Lindsey Horan only played 45 minutes in one what was one of the most excruciatingly boring halves <laughs> that I've seen over the last couple of years for the U.S. Women's National Team. So if it's okay with you, I'd rather just skip this part and go to the Thorns injuries. Yeah, um, I think as we get into you know qualifiers and obviously moving into next year, there's going to be a lot more that we're going to be talking on this podcast, and particularly with the Thorns going in about the Women's National Team. The from one friendly against China we've seen, and we're recording before the friendly tonight against China. I think we can we can talk a little bit more about our previous stuff and our injury updates for the Thorns. Okay, so you actually have information on all, all of this. I have information on all of this too, but I'm going to let you present it. There were four lingering I- injury issues going into the international break. A fifth has been added. We just updated you on Margaret Purse, so don't expect her to play the upcoming games against Chicago and Houston at the least. The other players, though, are starting to come into view. So tell us what you know about Haley Rosso's right knee, Adriana Francis's right knee, Emily Sonnet's back, and Bella Geist's quad. Yeah, so the, the, the Thorns are going to be going uh, to Chicago and then straight to Houston. So they have to make their plans in terms of who they're bringing on the road trips for both those games. Um, all four of those players are going to travel on the that trip. Um, Rosso, Franch, Sonnet could potentially see minutes against Chicago, but if they don't, Mark Parsons said worst case scenario, he thinks they'll be ready for Houston. Uh, Bella Geist is currently on the roster as a goalkeeper replacement for AD Franch. Uh, Geist is now healthy. She's back on the roster in that role, but she will come off at the point that AD is ready to play. So she could potentially still be on the roster for this uh, game against Chicago and, and then off by the time they go to Houston. If something changes and AD can start against Chicago, she, she would be off at that point. So um, I think it's good news for the Thorns. You know, some these are some big players, Rasso, French, Sonnet, coming back into the team. And given they're, you know, they're coming off this 4-1 loss to North Carolina, this season really hasn't been the dominant season we've sort of grown to expect from the Thorns under Mark Parsons. There's been a lot of ups and downs this year so far. 
these players coming back could potentially make a big difference for for this team as they try to you know solidify a playoff spot and see what kind of run they can make this year absolutely uh, uh, the other news associated with Bella Geis' return to health is that Adelaide Gay who had been in camp with them as an injury replacement who was the backup keeper on the 2013 title team she has is no longer with the team at this point uh, so that's just a byproduct of a crowded goalkeeping situation where the thorns have some very good depth and unfortunately there's only so much of that depth you can take uh, let's go ahead and transition into Saturday's game it's the first game that has being affected by Jamie's disastrous <laughs> switch from lifetime to ESPN news scenario so for everybody that is going to tune in at 12 30 expecting this game to be on lifetime nah it's going to be a five o'clock start on ESPN news let's get to the actual game the context around this game though you were at Providence Park yesterday we were there to witness practice you asked Mark Parsons about this. Do you think the week off helped the Thorns or hurt the Thorns, considering that week off meant chewing on that 4-1 loss to North Carolina a little bit longer? I, I think it was. And I, Mark Parsons said uh, he felt it was good, and I agree with that. Because I, I think coming off the 4-1 loss, yeah, sometimes when you have a disappointing result like that, you need to get back on the field uh, immediately and sort of just turn things around. But, but I think the Thorns have had some issues defensively. They obviously had some sort of mental breakdowns in, in that North Carolina game to concede those, I think, three goals in six minutes. And so I think that the Thorns kind of needed this break to mentally regroup, um, sort of work on some individual areas, which Mark Parsons said was a big priority for them, kind of working individually with players during this week and on specific things uh, and sort of regroup and prepare for the Chicago game. So I think it was good. I think it'll be interesting to see if we sort of get a different um energy maybe in the thorns heading into chicago and how this week off kind of see on the field how this week off has impacted them um but those that was one of those games that i don't think getting back on the field immediately i, I think had they you know had to play a few days later i wouldn't have been shocked to see another uh, sort of route um with, with the mentality just not in a good space and, and i i think the week off maybe was good for them to refocus you know jamie since coming to this job i've actually been around a team that's had a really bad loss before the Timbers coming off of their 4-0 loss at Red Bulls. And over the last two weeks, I've been thinking about that a lot and thinking about the atmosphere around the Timbers in the wake of that. And it's it's just way different between the two teams. When the Timbers returned from Harrison, they didn't know if they were a good team or not. And they knew they would have, have they had to tear everything down, build it back up from its foundations, and prove not only to the league but to themselves that they could compete. Thorns already know that. The Thorns know they had a very bad day, a day that got worse by kind of getting down on themselves over that six-minute stretch. They also know, and I think Emily Menges talked about this, that they've got to start looking at things in a shorter-term view. They can only worry about their next practice, their next game. And, of course, Mark Parsons says that stuff all the time. But it's more real now than ever. They have a series of incremental steps that they need to take to get to where they need to be. They know that. They were shown that in stark terms by North Carolina. And they can only be as good as they are making that next step. So that next step comes in today's practice. And the next big step will come against Chicago on Saturday. And I think it's a very interesting opponent. It's a completely different team than North Carolina, but has just as much talent. They play in a much different way. They're not this supercharged, high-tempo, very physical, very direct team. They rely on their skill now. They rely on this system that they put in that is very possession-based, attack-based. Um, they take advantage of the space on the field a lot more than North Carolina does. I don't. I honestly do not know what to expect from this game at all. 
Yeah, and I think a big question for me going into this is whether the Thorns defense is. You talked to them about them being an attack-based team. Obviously, Sam Kerr uh, is a individual player that the Thorns are going to have to be very uh, concerned with. Who um, torched them last year yes, at Providence Park. absolutely. And so whether or not the defense can, can sort of rebound from that North Carolina game and sort of rebound from these errors they've had throughout the season and find a way to uh, shut down Chicago's attack um, or, or come close at least to shutting down Chicago's attack is a big question for me. I'm not sure I know the answer because I, the defense has been so up and down. They certainly have the talent, uh, but you saw against North Carolina, the three goals in six minutes, uh, that's problematic. Um, but, but I think this is a good test for them coming off a break to see if they can put in a shutdown defensive performance. If they do something like that, find a way to get a win, um, you know, get a clean sheet. I think that would give this team a ton of confidence going forward. I also think they really need Emily Sana back for this one. Yeah. They need her speed. The way that this Chicago team is going to target and overload the gaps in the defense, you need somebody who is fast to be able to get to those balls that are being played through. And I don't think that has always been the case during these games that Emily Sana is out. There have been matchups where you look at it and go, the organization of Mengas and Reynolds really going to help in this game. They need Sonnet back for this one. How good her back is could determine whether they're able to compete with the Red Stars on Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. Um, obviously, um, another big thing that's happening this week outside of Timbers and Thorns that I think we should talk about because um, there, there are some Timbers involved in it um, before we move on to our predictions it, it, is the World Cup. The World Cup for the first time in history, Portland representation. There. Yeah, um, obviously, Davi Guzman was the first Timber ever named to a World Cup roster. Andy Polo was officially named to Peru's roster shortly after that. Um, the World Cup's going to begin Thursday, 8 a.m. Uh, I believe it's a game between Russia and Saudi Arabia. And then we'll see Guzman and Polo in action, I, I believe, sometime through the weekend or um, early next week. Um, I, I asked the first question from a, a sort of Timber's perspective is, what, what, what should we be watching for from Guzman and Polo in Russia? For Polo, just when he plays, if yeah. he plays. So his first game is on Saturday against Denmark, and he's not slated to be a starter. He is somebody that is going to be a situational substitution. Maybe during the course of this tournament with the attrition that these teams will have, he might play. But the way Peru's run of games go from Denmark to the group's toughest team in France to Australia, I don't know that he's going to be starting or getting a lot of minutes in any of these games. Yeah. Davi Guzman, however... Although I don't know that he's going to start every match, he's somebody who is going to be a favorite to start a predominant amount of time. So I think that if you're tuning into Costa Rica games and Davi Guzman is in the 11, you should ask yourself, what about this matchup meant that David is not a good matchup here? And they have their first game against Serbia on Sunday, and I would expect him to start for that one. I think that Costa Rica overall, uh, they obviously were the last CONCACAF team remaining in the 2014 World Cup they made to the quarterfinals. But I think they have the tougher group. If you look at Peru and Costa Rica's path out of their groups, I, I think Peru might, even though Poland might not be in the playing time, Guzman is, I think they might be the team that's more likely uh, to move on to the knockout phase. I, I think um, Costa Rica is going to have a tough time with their group. Yeah, I think Peru has one of the weakest teams in the tournament in Australia. Yeah. They have France that's one of the strongest teams in the tournament, but no matter what, Peru or Costa Rica were going to get drawn with one team that you would expect to be a favorite to go on and make it deep into the tournament. I think the other team in Peru's group, Denmark, is a manageable game. Yeah. I think that's about as good a draw as Peru could have hoped for. Whereas with Group E, Brazil is the team that, look, they're going through. 
no team. If you get a point off them, congratulations. Switzerland, Costa Rica, and Serbia conceivably are on very similar levels if Costa Rica plays their best. And although I haven't been able to watch a lot of their games leading into Russia, the score lines hint that Costa Rica is nowhere close to playing at a level where they should be able to get through this group. Yeah. Now, with this team, with the core of this team, the way they responded at the last World Cup, you don't want to put anything past them. But I think even if they play their best, it's going to be kind of a crapshoot between them, Switzerland, and Serbia. Yeah, and I, I think we we were, had already planned to talk about this, but I, we got some questions on it as well. Um, I know you just said that you hate predictions, but okay. but I'm going to at least make you make one more today. Um, World Cup predictions. Uh, World Cup predictions. And, and huh? It's unfortunate because I, I we might have similar uh, feelings on this. We talked about it last night and. Um, in our pre-show meeting. Yeah, in our pre-show meeting. Unfortunately, we are not uh, going to go you know, head-to-head on this in so much argument. But I'll, I'll let you go first in saying who do you think is going to advance or win it all. Yeah, um, there were five teams that I think are distinct above the rest of the pack. And for the first time in my life, I think we're entering a World Cup where there aren't one or two distinct favorites. And those five teams are uh, Argentina, France, Germany, Brazil, and Spain. And I think a lot of people who haven't followed the last couple teams a couple of years of their program might think Spain is the weakest of those teams based on how they've done at the last few major tournaments. But I am picking Spain because under their newest coach, they have been playing a lot better. Although they have had some people go out of their team, the core of their team is still the one that was so successful in those European championships, the World Cup in South Africa. I think that they have the experience when kind of all things else are equal amongst these teams to be the team that comes out of this. There are a couple of matchups I don't like for them. I think if they end up facing Argentina in the quarterfinals, which is a possibility if both they and Argentina win their groups, Argentina could pick them off, off there. I'm still picking Spain, though. Yeah, um, I'm picking Spain as well. Um, Wait, I, don't I know picked how. first. You I had know. to go with another team. I can't. Those were the rules. No. We did independently decide. You asked me yes. yesterday who I was picking, and I said Spain without knowing that that's who you were picking. So, unfortunately... Um, we're both sort of going for an underdog, uh, an underdog of the big teams that could potentially make it. We're both sort of going for an underdog here, but the same one. Uh, and we're both probably going to be wrong. But yep. I, I think, like you said, Spain has experience. I, I think they, ha- that they have the midfield. Um, it would be great to see um, Iniesta sort of go out on top uh, w- with this victory. And I, I think they're just a team that's underperformed in some of these recent years. You know, you talk about some of these big losses that they've had. I, it, it's not because they're not talented enough. And so if they can put it all together, um, I think they are, even though they aren't in terms of you look at the betting odds, um, Brazil and and Germany are sort of the favorites to win it all. Um, I I think this Spain, could end up being the ultimate winners for me. I just love the combination of Ramos and PK. And when I'm talking about players that have been there before and won all these things, I like that uh, center back tandem. They can control games. They're very skilled. They have the experience. I know a lot of people like to think that PK is say that PK is a bad defender. He's not. They like to pick on Sergio Ramos for getting red cards, but Sergio Ramos has been through plenty of big games without picking up red cards. I love that foundation of those two and David De Gea in goal. So that's basically why I'm going with Spain. Um, but more predictions, Jamie, or not predictions? Is this the point where I should explain the change in format? Yes. So I'm not going to be making predictions anymore. And in an effort to be as transparent as possible, I want to be as honest as possible as to why. So after a couple of weeks of making predictions, we as an organization and as a podcast team 
started thinking about the implications of me as somebody who's a club employee, as somebody who has knowledge of different things that go beyond the field with these players and the coaching staff and plans of this organization, the implications of me even subconsciously using that knowledge to make predictions. And it just got to be a situation where the risk wasn't worth the reward for me. So I think there could be a lot of ways to look at this um, as me making excuses not to make predictions. I think that's one thing because I, I sincerely don't like making predictions. But ultimately, as an organization, we got in a place where if anything, the wildest scenario happened and we had situations where knowledge couldn't be public for health concerns, for safety concerns, for privacy concerns, and then my predictions started to skew from Jamie's and I couldn't make, I couldn't describe why, well, it just puts everybody in a bad situation and uh, it's ultimately unfair to those players and staff members who um, I would be compromising in those scenarios. So unfortunately, I will not be carrying on the tr- traditions of the show and making predictions going forward. But you still will, we still as a group will be making predictions. I will be making the prediction now, but you still will be contributing a little bit. Yes, um, I will still be scoring you. So uh, <laughs> not only will I be opting out, I will be hanging in judgment. And I will still be providing a side bet to try to give some indication as to how things will go. I just won't be giving a score prediction. Okay. Uh, so let's start with the new format. Um, with Timbers, uh, Timbers versus LA in, in the U.S. Open Cup Friday. Um, I Like I said earlier, I, I think this is a pretty good draw for the Timbers. I'm not... I, I think that we're going to see a close-to-top Timbers lineup. I, I think it's possible that's what we're also going to see from the Galaxy as well, but I, I don't know for sure if we'll see them make some rotations. I think that the Timbers are going to take U.S. Open Cup seriously. I think they're going to learn from their last game against the Galaxy, and I did think the Galaxy defense was vulnerable. Um, so I'm going to go with the same scoreline that, that we had against San Jose, although um, even though it might be the same uh, result, I, I, I don't know if it's going to be quite as easy as it felt against San Jose. But I, I'm going to predict the Timbers winning 2 to nothing. And for my part of this, I think that the first thing you need to decide is who you think is most likely to play. I agree with you that we're, most of the typical 11 will be playing in this one. Uh, I'm going to go... Again, reaching for the fences a little bit because I'm going to go for the high scores on this one. I'm not going to predict a Armenteros goal or a Blanco assist. Maybe other games I'll do that. I'm going with Christian Paredes getting his second goal of the year. A lot of this is because of the way the Galaxy defense plays. They like to drop deep. They like to get narrow very quick. The last game that we saw against the Galaxy, Perry Kitchen and Servando Carrasco did a very good job of maintaining the space between them and the back line to make sure that area was secure. But if they don't do that again, and at times this year they haven't done it, that area will be ripe for somebody like a Paredes, a Chara, or a Flores to jump in there to take a crack at goal. So I'm going to bet on Paredes. And then uh, we have Thorns versus Chicago on Saturday. Um, I I am concerned about the Thorns being able to kind of hold up on defense for this game. And so I think that... Um, I, I think that that's going to be tough for them, but I also think they're going to find a way to get goals. So I'm going to predict a 2-2 tie uh, between the two teams. Uh, it, it'll be an okay way to rebound from the North Carolina game, but but the defense, they're, they're, there will still be questions there. Now, Jamie, one of the things that we didn't 
update d- during our Thorn segment as far as international breaks is concerned is the non-U.S. players. Christine Sinclair had her 173rd goal of her career. Anna Maria Sernogorcevic got a goal too for Switzerland, which leads to my side bet. I think Anna Maria Sernogorcevic is going to break through in this one. I think that she's she's due. And again, I don't want to just predict that Christine Sinclair will score a goal. I was really close to predicting Lindsay Horan would score a goal here. But it seems like every side bet I make comes down to Lizzie Horan, <laughs> so let's stop let's stop doing that for a while. So I'm gonna go with Anna Maria Sernogosovic getting her second goal as a thorn. All right. We'll see if uh, our predictions um, are at least better than our ones versus Timbers versus Kansas City. Uh, We'll see if these predictions are better than that uh, this week. Um, Before we let you go, I got to give everyone an update on the Fantasy League. Um, So in third place, we have... I really, Reifer sends me these every week since I don't play, and he still keeps sending me uh, the names with the cutoff ending to it. So Racing Club, Day, Blank... Uh, someday we'll have to figure out what the end of that is. There's just an M. <laughs> we have to make something yeah. up. Racing Glove Day M. Montevideo. <laughs> okay. There we go. Um, is in third place with 1,463 points. Uh, FC Peerlorn is in second place with 1,478 points. And Beer City FC is on top with 1,551 points. Uh, we're soccer made in Portland. I'm Jamie Goldberg with the Oregonian. That's Richard Farley with Timbers.com. You can find us every week on Oregon Live, Timbers.com, and Stumptown Footy. Um, you can also subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher. And until next week, take care.